Good afternoon and welcome to the Raw Podcast. We are the Sunderland Echo, bringing you all things SAFC. I'm your host for today, James Copley, joined as ever by Phil Smith. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad. A little bit drained after last night's tension, but not too bad. Fighting fit. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll start with the uh, the Rotherham game, obviously. Uh, how do you go about analysing that one, Phil? Because Sunderland, I felt, really struggled, but Rotherham are a good side. Yeah, I think it, it, it was a really interesting game, wasn't it? And that, generally speaking, one of the reasons why I think you know Alex Neal's been really popular since he took charge is not just because he's got good results, which is obviously the most important thing, but generally speaking, he kind of sees the game in the same way as supporters do, I think. And Last night was possibly the first time where there was a bit of a difference where I think the prevailing view was probably that Sunderland had got out of jail a little bit. I think that was certainly our view, wasn't it? Um, and Alex Neal felt that they were more than worthy of the point. And I think that sort of summed up, it depends how you viewed the game. You know, Neil looked at it and saw a very powerful, very strong Rotherham side who, whatever anybody says about their recent form, were going for promotion. They've recently beaten up Ipswich. And he said, Ip Ford there, I don't know who they are. Ips, they've, recently, <laughs> they've recently beaten Ipswich and Oxford. Um, so he looked at it as an unbelievably challenging game. He picked a team to compete with Rotherham. And in the end, they just about got there. Um, you know, it was a, like I say, I thought Rotherham were the better team, albeit they didn't really create anything that didn't come from set pieces. Um, and, you know, obviously it was really frustrating that really someone let them into the game by conceding from a corner because up until that point, there hadn't been much in it. So, yeah, it, it was an interesting one. I think that it wasn't the best Sunderland performance and it was a little bit underwhelming at, t- underwhelming at times. But what I would say is a couple of things, really. After, certainly after the MK Dons and the Burton home games when Neil had just taken charge, if you'd said that someone would go into the final day knowing a win would secure their playoff place, then I would definitely have settled for that. And I think most people would have done. Um, and I think that also you've got to remember that every selection Alex Neil makes at the moment is trying to cover up for the fact that he's got no fullbacks. Um, and we saw that again last night. I thought Rotherham got a lot of joy down the flanks, but you expect that when you don't have fullbacks. So I think that's always worth bearing in mind. We almost take it for granted that you've got players like Linden kind of filling in at wing back. And um, yeah, so I think that ultimately it was a pretty valuable point. Um, even if we may all have lost a, a year of, of our life in the process. Yeah, it was a, was a frustrating game. It's interesting that Alex Neil, you're saying, saw the, the game maybe a little bit differently to supporters and me and you, but Paul Warren as well, obviously he was he was good not to get the win, but he actually conceded that, you know, although he thought his, his team did, it, did just about enough, he, he conceded that Sunderland was sort of good value for the point, so that was interesting as well. What did you make of that flat midfield three, obviously, Elliot Embleton dropped out and he went with Matete, 09 and Evans in the middle, which it didn't allow for a lot of room in there. It was very tight, very congested and both teams seemed to go long quite often. Yeah, again, it sort of the it sums up the debate around the game, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, we were probably in the camp at the time, James watching on that he's picked a team to try and compete with Rotherham at what they do better and that as a result, Rotherham were the better side. You know, Neil's view was very much, well, you have to do that to beat Rotherham. And, you know, he could probably also point the fact that when someone picked a very attacking, technically gifted team at Rotherham earlier in the season, they lost 5-1. Um, and that probably is a fair comment. So, listen, I, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think ultimately as well, 
if Pritchard was fully fit, I think he would have started the game. Do you know what I mean? I think that's another factor as well that you know Pritchard ultimately had played something like I don't know something like seventy minutes of football in about six weeks before coming on on Saturday. So you've got to remember that as well. He's not in a position where he can play ninety minutes three times in a week. I would have liked to have seen Neil or Embleton in there because I think someone missed a bit of composure. I think they missed a bit of craft. But you know, I can certainly see Neil's point, and ultimately, you know, it, listen, if someone don't make the playoffs, I don't think it's going to be because of the midfield three picked against Rotherham, which ultimately got a point. I think it will be here because they didn't beat Morecambe and be a lot of other results in the season. So. Yeah, my personal view is that Sunderland got out of jail a little bit, um, but it's you know we do see it through Sunderland perspective. And the point you make about Paul Warren's a really interesting one. He was quite complimentary about Sunderland afterwards. He talked about how they'd made changes to kind of um, cope with his side, and that he felt they'd done that pretty well. And he admitted that you know he felt that his team were under a lot of pressure later on. Um, so maybe if you strip back our sort of Sunderland um, edge, if you like. Um, maybe it was a little bit more even than we felt at the time. So, listen, the the end justified the means. I think in the end, um, it was a good cross from Jack Clark. Someone had been much better in that little spell, um, and now it's listen. It's it's up to Sunderland now, and that's not ultimately given where the team was when Neil first walked through the door. I think that's a good position to be in. Well, uh, we'll circle back round to the game and Alex Neil, and we'll talk about maybe uh, some some of the flaws in recruitment and, and Trey Hume as well. I want to talk about him eventually coming back in for only his second start under Neil. But I thought it was interesting, Phil, that, that Paul Warren mentioned that how special it would have been for Rotherham to come to Sunderland in front of a big crowd at the Stadium of Light against a big club um, and get the win and, and secure promotion. And he, he thought that had been his his motivation before the game to the players and. It's interesting that, uh, you know, a manager who's experienced quite a lot and achieved quite a lot like Paul Warren and a club the size of Rotherham as well, who are, let's face it, a, a championship club really historically, um, they see Sunderland and, and coming to Sunderland as a as a big scalp, a big challenge and, and something they really have to raise the game for, something that really motivates them. And it's just interesting that even at the top end of League One, that, that's such a factor for clubs coming to the Stadium of Light. And I think that Neil was fair to point out that really there hadn't been much in the game until his side failed to defend. Well, it was three headers, wasn't it? Was how he explained yes. it. Yes, you've got yes. the corner, but it's also the, the goal kick and the throw in and the build-up to it. And I think that was massive because it gave Rotherham something to hold on to. Um, and I think that was the worst scenario for Sunderland, really. You know, we know Rotherham are really robust. They're an excellent pressing side. I do think in the long term, you know, I'm not saying sort of, taking all of what they do, certainly not. But in terms of their pressing and their intensity off the ball, that is absolutely where Sunderland are hoping to get to in the long term. And realistically, Alex Neal was never going to be able to do that mid-season, especially with no fullbacks, as I've mentioned before. So they're really interested in that regard in terms of throwing Sunderland forward because they probably are a bit further forward, especially in their off-the-ball development than Sunderland are. But you're right, you could see that they, they had something to hold on to and that's kind of what I was referring to before about us seeing it through the Sunderland context. You know, desperate to see Sunderland turn it on, really get into the fourth, fifth gear and really make a statement ahead of the final day. Well, actually, you have a very good Rotherham side who ultimately have had a good season clinging on to their life because they're potentially going to get, you know, automatically promoted that night. Mm. And so you have to take these things into consideration. I do think we saw that play out, you know, um, because then it flipped, didn't it? Because as soon as Sunderland scored, fortuitously or otherwise, Rotherham really wobbled, didn't they? Because yeah. all of a sudden, they were not just at risk of not getting automatic promotion, they're at risk of losing the game and seeding 
you know, giving the advantage to MK Dons. Um, so that's always something at the stage of the season that these psychological elements always, always play in. And yeah, you, you have to say that something almost nicked it at the end and then almost gave it away. Um, but I suppose that's, <laughs> that's just, that's just watching Sunderland at the moment, isn't it? Coming back round to Alex Neil, and you touched on the point um, just right at the beginning of the podcast, but he, with the flat midfield three, decided to to drop um, Elliot Embleton, who of course scored against Cambridge. But listening to, I mean, as, as you say, Phil, me and you were sort of both in the camp, we probably would have liked to see Elliot Embleton start. He's, he's one of our favourite Sunderland players. But listening to Alex Neil's sort of reasoning after the game, it's very persuasive and it's very hard to argue because he, you know, one thing, um, as you've pointed out, that Alex Neil does is his homework and he does it rigorously. Um, and he, he pointed out that if you go and try and play Rotherham, then you end up at the end of a bit of a hiding, as Sunderland did. Um, and that the teams that had beaten Rotherham, I think you mentioned, I think was it Fleetwood or, or Shrewsbury, perhaps, you know, th- there was there's a blueprint and, you know, yeah. Sunderland needed to follow that blueprint to beat Rotherham, who were an exceptional team in League One in their own right, championship team last season. Yeah, and I think so. And I, I, and I don't, necessarily entirely agree in the sense that you know you could definitely make the argument that when you leave out your better ball players are you essentially saying to your side that you don't think they're kind of good enough to play against Rotherham I'm sure Neil would completely disagree with that what I would say as well is Neil's approach of setting up the opposite setting up for the opposition strengths what we've seen in his 14 games in charge is the vast majority of the time it's worked to Sunderland's advantage so last night was a game where today we're having a debate about whether it worked or not. And there's probably been one or two other occasions where we've done that. I'm thinking specifically probably the Fleetwood game at home um, and also maybe the Crew game where you kind of ultimately suddenly got the result, but there might have been that debate of, oh, did we change for the opposition and did it work? Generally speaking, it's worked brilliantly. You know, you go back to that game at Wigan, we'd not seen Sunderland play anything like that all season and they were superb, got a huge result. So I think that Alex Neal's approach that tailoring for the opposition has been a massive net positive since he came in. And if someone do go on and get into the playoffs, that will be a huge reason. And I'm, I know I'm sort of repeatedly going back to it, but you're in a situation where because of injuries and what have you, Neil didn't feel like he could play Gooch on the right again because he felt he needed to give Callum Doyle a little bit of extra cover because Callum Doyle hasn't been in the side of late. He hasn't got a left back with Dennis Serkin injured. So yeah, so some of it obviously were his own decisions, but he's essentially because of the squad had to take Gooch out of a position where he was superb on Saturday to to cover up for other gaps in the squad to bring him over to the left. And I think that is something that maybe we're sometimes a little bit risk of taking for granted in terms of some of these gaps that Neil is ultimately covering for. And when it comes down to it, it's still producing a pretty impressive set of results as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I suppose that brings me on to the next question and and We've talked about it extensively on on this podcast. Obviously, we're not that far out from January, and we're, we're not that far out from the summer, really. Um, and just looking at Sunderland's strategy um, in January, you know, it, it has left Sunderland short, and it's left Alex Neil short, and it, he's made absolutely no secret about that um, in interviews that he's that he's done. You know, I, I'm not expecting you to to provide a, a definitive answer, Phil, just your thoughts necessarily, but why has this happened? I mean, you know, why, why is Tri Hume at 20 years old having to, having to come in at, at right back, you know, out of the cold? I know there's some you know, there's un, unfortunate injuries in there, but you look at the decision to to sell Denver Hume or, or Tom Flanagan, who could have done a job maybe at left back. 
obviously those those players have players have different situations, but it it does seem bizarre, and it's a hard sell to a lot of fans. Yeah, listen, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I didn't have any issues with either of the decisions made in terms of player sales with Flanagan and Denver Hume. You know, it was fairly clear Flanagan wasn't going to get a contract here in the summer. Um, I think he was a good servant to Sunderland, but ultimately, you know, he was part of the side over a long period of time that wasn't quite good enough defensively. And obviously, the opportunity was there for him to secure his his and his family's long term future at Shrewsbury. So I've not really got any issues with him leaving. Um, and you know, I think Denver obviously was a bit of a crossroads in his career, and, and probably a player in need of a new opportunity. You know, we know that Sunderland did try and get um, replacements at the end of the window, and they were unable to do so. Um, and I think ultimately, yeah, the you know the the recruitment team is a is accountable for that. And if you know the end of the season isn't how we hope, then that'll obviously be one of the key reasons why. I can totally understand the argument that you shouldn't let players leave until you've got replacements. You do have to think about squad unity as well a little bit. And listen, there's no doubt that the squad balance hasn't quite been there for the last few months. And you know, it's credit to Neil that he's spoken about it, but without making it an excuse for results. And I think that's a really difficult balance for someone to achieve and something that he's done done relatively well. And and listen, just all across our fingers, aren't we, that Dennis Serkin in particular, you know, is back soon. Carl Winchester has been excellent as well, but I think particularly because that left side is such an issue for Sunderland. You know, Serkin has been played his way through that difficult spell he had in the winter. I think he's been excellent in the last six to seven weeks under Neil. So, fingers crossed we can get him back because I think that does just make a huge difference to the balance of the side, both defensively and defensively as well. Indeed. Alex Neil was very quick to remind us last night, actually, as well, that you have the likes of Anthony Patterson, uh, Callum Doyle, Tri Hume, uh, Nathan Broadhead, Jay Matetti. These are all young players, 20 or under. Uh, Callum Doyle was 17 when he signed for the club. He, he's only 18. Now, do we sometimes maybe forget that a little bit when, you know, we're, so, we're all so desperate for for Sunderland to, to get out of League One and it's all, all we focus on, really. But possibly the, the makings of, a, you know, some really good young players there at Sunderland. Yeah, and it's definitely context when you sort of reflect on games last night, like last night when the pressure is so high, um, and you're playing against such an experienced physical side. You know, having so many young players is definitely going to make an impact. Um, and, you know, and it's listen. There's a lot of debates that we're kind of half having at the moment that you know this summer we'll, we'll talk about a lot more. I suspect do you need a little bit more experience? You know, will Alex Neil be happy to work with such a young squad again next season, or would he be pushing really hard? to sort of adapt the model, if you like. I think there's all these discussions that as soon as the season ends, we're going to be having um, in great depth and, and with a fair amount of ferocity, I think. But, you know, one of Neil's probably best achievements so far is being able to get everybody to just come together for that goal of getting to the end of the season, you know, making the best of what he has and trying to get over the line. And, you know, it's still all there, isn't it? It's still very much in play. And, and like I say, it felt promotion... Felt like a long, long, long way off after those MK Dom, Dons and Burton home games. Um, and of course, it still is a long way off. But I think if you'd said to me then that we'd be heading to Morton, knowing that a win would mean a shot at the playoffs, I think I would probably have said that was a job well done so far. Yeah, definitely. But um, have you ever seen a, a better own goal than that, Phil? The, the one that springs to mind instantly is Virginie's away to Southampton. Yeah. That was sublime. I, mean, I, I could understand yeah. what he's doing in terms of he, yeah. he's 
Ross Stewart's behind him. He's he's trying to get something on it, but it just looks sensational when it went in. Yeah, I mean the fact that it goes in off the crossbar as well just adds that extra. Always makes it look better. Yeah, I mean it is. It's it's not in Virginia's class, is it? Because as you mentioned, actually when you watch it back, it's nowhere near as bad as I first thought. Because ultimately, it's a really good cross from Clark. Yeah, and we saw him do exactly the same thing for the um, Shrewsbury winner, didn't we? Where he puts it in that area. Flanagan in the Shrewsbury goalkeeper, there's that little bit of confusion and that's how Broadhead's able to nip in and score. So it was a great delivery and actually Stewart is making a good run. And if you think about centre-half, you know, he's watching the ball, he can send Stewart behind him, but he doesn't quite know. He knows his keeper's on his line. So you can see why he has to make the header. So I was a little bit more understanding when I watched it back than I was at the time where I was just like, what on earth happened to you? Um, but yeah, I think it's... Yeah, he scored two good headers at that end, didn't he? And I think the one in his own goal might have been even better than um, than, than the one he scored past Anthony Patterson. Listen, he had a good game. I think he's a really good League One centre half. Um, yeah, really. Sometimes that's the perils of playing playing in that position, isn't it? Yeah, the other moment for Sunderland, and we're really clutching at straws here because there, there wasn't that many moments. But um, I was quite quite invested in this game, concentrating quite heavily, and this nearly had me on my feet when. Alex Pritchard hit that free kick into the side net and it looked towards our side of the ground like it had gone in. You're not really supposed to sort of react in the press box or anything, but I find that very difficult at times. But uh, yeah, that uh, that was a, a real a real troll of a goal because I, I genuinely thought that was in, as did half the stadium. Yeah, as, as did Paul Warren as well. He said afterwards that he thought he'd lost a kidney at first. <laughs> um, I think it's... And I mean, that's one of the things as well whereby... Rotherham's set piece delivery through the first hour of the game was significantly better than Sunderland's. Um, you know, oh, Barlas is yeah, yeah, real, real quality. And actually, that was something another thing that changed when Pritchard and Embutton came on the pitch. I mean, you know, those are two absolute championship level minimum set piece takers. So that's another thing to think about, isn't it, in terms of your selection? And I know I'm repeating myself here, but you know, for all the debates around the selection, Embutton, what have you, you know, ultimately. I think if you got into a similar situation against a similar team in the playoffs, Pritchard's going to be in the starting eleven, isn't he, if he's fit? Um, and that will make a big difference. So, yeah, we we have to be kind of very, very measured when we talk about Neil's selections. Even last night, he said afterwards that Broadhead nearly missed out because he had a little injury. He's managing a huge amount of issues at the moment, whether it be big ones or little ones. You know, and I think we have to be pretty fair when we assess his decisions in that context, especially against the calibre of opposition like Rotherham. Indeed, we'll, uh, we'll take a look at the league table. So in seventh, you have Wickham on 80 points, Plymouth in sixth on 80 points above Wickham and in the playoff uh, places. By virtue of goal difference, Sunderland above Plymouth Argyle with that point against Rotherham. So a significant point, really, in terms of the league table. On 81, Sheffield Wednesday had a dramatic win against Fleetwood Town League. Gregory getting a hat-trick, uh, I think it was... Two goals in a, in a couple of minutes or maybe even less there. On fourth with 82 points. MK Dons third with 86 points. Rotherham one point above them in second on 87. And Wigan are, are first and, and pretty much up on 89 points, but not mathematically confirmed yet. Um, again, like we said on the last podcast, Phil, it is extremely tight going into the last day of the season. Um, I will read out the fixture. Shrewsbury Town are at home to Wigan Athletic. That sort of doesn't really concern Sutherland too much. But then you have Sheffield Wednesday hosting Portsmouth. Uh, Plymouth Argyle, MK Dons, which is a, a huge game. Sunderland, obviously, away to Morecambe. And then you have uh, Gillingham, who are at home to Rotherham. Um, 
it's uh, <laughs> but both managers mentioned that for the neutral, this is a really exciting end to the season. But for for Sunderland fans and, and for the fans of those clubs, this might not be much fun. No, it's like this. It's going to seem like a long couple of days, isn't it? Um, you just want that certainty, don't you? In terms of what we're doing next, because I mean, it, it's it's not just the fact that you don't know whether something you're going to get into the playoffs. You've got no idea you're going to face. You know, you could be facing. Imagine facing Sheffield Wednesday with all that would bring with the two clubs in there, oh, or it could still be Wickham. With it's just it, it, it's amazing. I really, really, really do not want Wickham Wanderers. Just uh, utmost respect for Gareth Gareth with and the way he plays football and, and what he's achieved. But just a nightmare team to play across two legs. You can just yeah, imagine it, 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 that would not be. Yeah, listeners' head spin, isn't it? It's it's terrifying. <laughs> um, I don't want to do it any of it but we're going to have to um yeah it's 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 been a crazy division and, and it's something that we spoke about um earlier in the week didn't we it's not going to get any easier next year i don't think um so yeah we just have to brace brace ourselves and we're talking here a little bit maybe falling into the trap like Sunderland are, are already in it but they're not they've, they've still got to beat Morecambe and you can't really look past that game because you know thinking back to that south end game under under Jack Ross Sunderland of um have failed during these types of opportunities before. Obviously, you know things have hopefully changed since then. There's a lot. There's a, the plane, the plane uh, staff and personnel is a lot different. But Sunderland have form for uh, letting fans down in big moments. Listen, Saturday is going to be horrible. I've seen Derek Adams' sides play before. They're, they're fighting for something as well. It's going to be one of those League One games times twenty. There'll be time coming out of the game. It'll be physical. There'll be set pieces flying in from everywhere. It is going to be an absolutely awful 90 minutes. I can absolutely promise you that. So um, it is going to be a, a really, 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 um, yes, awful spectacle, I suspect. But um, I do feel like this is a team that's better better suited to coping that, with that now than they maybe were at some point. And yeah, no, it's listen, I think you're absolutely right. We cannot take it for granted at all. Morecambe have, have been under better form recently. They're still fighting for their lives. It's going to be a really tricky game. And if anyone if anything says League One, it's um having to win against Morecambe at the Mazuma Stadium to uh, to achieve your uh, your season's goals. It's not ideal, is it really? <laughs> it's it's to, to be honest, we've been there before in the in the Pat the Johns. Um they're a great club really, really nice, friendly people and they've done unbelievably well to get in this position because they shouldn't be competing anywhere near there with their budget. So, you know, all the best to them. I, I certainly hope they stay up, but I, I hope they stay up because of other results and because Sunderland have beaten them. Um, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because that would just be absolutely ridiculous. You can subscribe to the Sunderland Echo for premium content and an ad light experience. Um, there is now the option to go totally ad free for digital plus subscribers. And I believe there is an offer as well at the moment. So head over to our Twitter and Facebook uh, for that. If you like what we do with the raw podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Um, it all helps with the visibility. Uh, that's probably the end of, of the Raw podcast now. But for all the build-up news and injury updates uh, ahead of Sunderland's next game against Morgan, including Alex Neal's press conference at 9am on Friday, please head over to the Sunderland Echo website. And once again, thank you for listening to the Raw podcast.